We are starting a new series, or we started a new series last week called It's Complicated. We pray that you were blessed by that uh, intro last week. We're going to go forward in that series, and we're going we're gonna to tackle some interesting things in this series. Um, the gospel is simple. gospel is simple. You can tell it in two minutes. It's, it's, a, it's a simple gospel. Um, but its implications or how it's lived out at times can be very, very complicated, particularly among situations and topics that for a long time has been taboo to the church. It's been something churches don't talk about, don't address. I want to dive headlong into those topics in this series, and the hope is to bring gospel application to today's hot-button topics, if you will. To help you with that and to help you prepare for that, uh, I want to tell you where I'm going. I want to tell you where I'm going. Uh, this week we'll talk about sexuality and the gospel. I have a slide that we'll call our roadmap for this series. This week we'll talk about sexuality and the gospel. This will be two parts this weekend, next week. Then we'll, then we'll tackle uh, politics. Okay, dive headlong into that, and then we'll look at race as well. Um, we'll take a look at that, okay? So I'm excited. I just want to give you a roadmap so you know uh, where we're talking about, and then we'll finish off with, with talking about work and how that is not something that came as a part of the curse that God cursed us with going to work Monday morning, uh, but how we can do that to the glory of God. As I, as I dive headlong into sexuality, again, it's going to be two parts. If you're here today, you've got to come on time next week. Somebody say on time. I just want to do a check. What time service start? Just check. I ain't casting no shade on nobody. But just what time church start? Okay. Joy, I'm going to leave it alone. I just, I just did a check. I'm going to leave it alone. So why, why, so if you're here this week, you got to come next week, got to be on time, because this is, this is one sermon given over two weeks, okay? I had too many pages of notes. I, it'd, be, it'd be unjust for me to give you in one shot what I had, okay? Um, it took too long. So it's one sermon over two weeks. I want to talk about this, though. Rodney, why do this? Why dive into sexuality? You, un, without doubt, you're going to offend somebody today. Rodney, you're trying to grow the church. You're not trying to shrink the church. Why even address it? Why not just talk about love? Why not just talk about faith? Why not just talk about, you know, something, something people want to hear? Well, I want to be faithful as a preacher. I'm more concerned with being faithful than popular. I mean that. And I love you too much to not address it. You see, Paul, and we're going to see this in Romans chapter 1, Paul gives a just cold shower to your theology. When you get home, this is your homework. Read, read Romans 1 slowly. But Paul gives you a cold shower to your theology, and he begins to just work through how depravity has affected our culture and how depravity affecting our culture leads into how we live out sexually. 
And so because Paul is going to address some, 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 some serious topics because they were happening in his day, the faithful preacher addresses things that are happening in his day. Tell somebody and say, we got to talk about it. All right. So my aim for this series, what is my goal out of this series? What do I want to see? I want to see uh, missionaries equipped to carry the gospel and apply it to hot-button topics, and as they're carrying the gospel, receive it for themselves. You see, it's, it's, it's impossible for an evangelist or someone that shares the gospel to share it without it impacting you. You are a carrier and a receiver as a missionary, and my aim is to equip missionaries to love, learn, and engage the world with hope uh, with the hope of the gospel. I want y'all to love people. I want y'all to love Democrats and Republicans and independents. I want y'all to love heterosexuals, homosexuals, bisexuals, lesbians, transgenders. I want you to love your boss. I ain't get no help on that one. I want you to love people that are different from you racially, ethnically, socioeconomically. I want this church to be marked by love. I want this church to be marked by a church that is constantly learning, what do I need to love well? Because loving out of ignorance can be hurtful. How do I keep my mind open so I'm learning because culture is changing? How do I love well? How do I learn well? And how do I not just sit on the sidelines in my Christian bubble? How do I actually engage the world with the hope of the gospel? So today we tackle sexuality, and I, I, I covet your prayers and your questions. So maybe as I'm preaching this morning, some questions come to mind. Uh, I, I ask you to please email those to info at gospelfellowship.net. Um, we'll be happy to mull over that. I'm, I'm not doing my sermon prep this time, and in, in some desk or cubicle or at my house by myself. We are actually doing it as a team, and so I have other people speaking into this sermon. We got a, we got a phone call coming up next week um, with a professor that's going to help us lean into some of this. So I'm, I'm, I'm really asking if you have questions, email me or email us, info at gospelfellowship.net. Let's go to the Word of God. Amen. What time is it? Let's get it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. In 20 through 25, we'll start there. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Somebody say one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, both vulnerable, both transparent, and were not ashamed. I want us to read uh, Romans 1, verses 18 through 23. I'm going to read the, entire of, the entirety of those 10 verses, but this morning I'm only going to focus on the first two. The first two. Romans 1, verse 18 through 28 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith 
from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they were futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their body among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shame, shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves their due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. I want to talk on the topic over the next two weeks, sexuality and the gospel. Three points that we'll address over the next two weeks is one flesh, sexual brokenness, and redeeming sexuality. Let's pray one more time and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are gracious in us. Thank you for your cross that you sent. And thank you for your truth. Lord, as we talk about this issue, we pray that you would do work that only the Spirit can do for some of these things we'll talk about today are in fact spiritually discerned. So we need the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would guard me from unnecessary offense. That's not my aim. But embolden me to speak your gospel even when it can be offensive. Lord, it's to that end I pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. We cannot engage such a topic without first hearing and taking a pulse of where we are in our culture so that we can have a framework for how the gospel speaks to our sexuality. And culture has a lot to say. This, to update you on what the culture has to say about sexuality will take its own sermon. I decided not to do that, so I'll just give you little pieces of stuff that I've come across. Woody Allen says, whatever the question is, sex is the answer. 
says the man that will later be accused of inappropriate relationships with his daughter-in-law. Alice Bagg says, my sexuality is not an inferior trait. I'm sorry, this is not Alice Bass. This is Marilyn Monroe. She says, my sexuality is not an inferior trait that needs to be chaperoned by emotionalism or morality. In other words, don't touch my sexuality. My sexuality doesn't need the chaperone of God's word. It doesn't need the chaperone of my emotions. My sexuality needs to be freed up so I can express it the way I want to. And I want to pause and say this. For for, for some of us in our journey of faith, when you get to sexuality, for for some of us, we take the off-ramp in our journey of faith. We We try to deviate away from God's word because it's easier. I think under what, what, what many would call, uh, I'm not Christian, I'm spiritual, or what many would call uh, agnosticism, under the banner of that is, don't you tell me what to do with my life. Who gives you the right to tell me what to do with my body. This is my body and it's sacred to me and I'll do with it what I will. I am just, I've been taken by a book by Jackie Hill Perry, incredible book, I commend it to you. It is called Gay Girl, Good God. And in this book, she, 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 she talks about an interaction she has on, 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 on her high school uh, during her high school dance, and a girl comes up to her and asks her, will you be my girlfriend? And she is going through her own, cha- own uh, same-sex attraction. She says to her, get away from me, I'm not, I'm not gay. Because she knew uh, to... to, to, to to admit that to her at that dance would mean that her name would be scattered throughout the school and immediately all of her business would be on Front Street. So she, she suppresses who she is in that moment by responding, I'm not gay. But later, that same girl she ends up in a relationship with. And I bring up Jackie Hill Perry to say These are, uh, again, these are not issues to be debated. These are people to be loved. These are real stories. And so I just want to help frame this in your mind. I don't want you to just think through issues, and I don't want you to think through your stance, and I don't want you to just take notes to build arguments. I want you to have pictures in your mind of people you may know or people you need to get to know. People to be loved. I remember... In my short pastorate, just having a conversation, my wife and I, uh, with, with a lesbian we've come across, and, and she just had some honest questions, and she wanted to know, as a pastor, where we stood, just where I stood as a pastor on this issue, and, and, and part of me didn't want didn't to come out first and say where I stood. I wanted to, to build a relationship, but, but they wouldn't let us. 
They, they just wanted to know, no, tell me biblically, scripturally, where do you stand? And, and as I think through this, as I'm prepping for this week, my heart just is heavy from that conversation as I think back on it. Because I am obligated to tell you the truth, and I don't have the authority to change what the truth is, but I want to frame it for you in a way so you can see clearly. When the church has done a challenging or not well, has not done that well, amen? And in so doing, the church has driven people away when they should have been drawing people to God's grace. So these questions are real. There are questions like, pornography doesn't hurt anybody, it's just me, right? Nobody else is here. Who am I sinning against when I'm watching pornography and pleasuring myself? Some may say, Rodney, I'm not talking about that kind of homosexuality. Because me and my partner, we're in a committed, monogamous relationship. So if two people love each other and we're not hurting each other by stepping out on one another, why does it matter what, a gen what gender we are? We're committed. That's love. Some would say it's not fair. Why, why would God do this? Why would he give someone these desires and then not allow them to express it? This, this makes no sense. What kind of God is this? Why would you serve a God like that who, who, who gives us these desires but then says, no, we can't express it? And how do I change my desire? This is... This is what I feel. This is what I'm attracted to. I can't change that. And so if my desires come in conflict with my quest for, for, for faith in Christ, maybe I need to rethink this whole faith in Christ thing because I couldn't possibly change my desires. I want to pause and say something. The goal here and the goal... The goal is not to say the aim for homosexuals are to be heterosexuals. It's not the goal. It's not the goal. The aim is for homosexuals to be holy. more. But can I please, did you feel that, what I said earlier? See, because you, you, I'm not sending you out to a theology class where everybody agrees with you. I'm, I'm sending you out to, to people that have real questions. They're, they're all kind of movies that are, that are made about this. It's, it's this clash between how I feel in my sexuality and, and, and what this book says, this ancient book says. 
this antiquated book says, this traditionalism, this, this orthodox text, this something written so, so long ago, how can it be relevant for today when I feel how I feel? I, I, I got to be true to who I am. I don't want to fake it to be included in a church. So what does God have to say about that? In some ways, say, well, did God design us to only be with one person for the rest of our life? You mean, uh, uh, a guy would say, you mean I, I only have to be with my wife for the rest of my life? And I can have no, any, uh, no other sexual partners? Then why did he make my sex drive so strong? And why did he make hers so low? Something wrong, Rodney, I'm just saying. He, he couldn't have meant that. And you know what I think is, you know, when, when, when he made Adam and Eve, I believe there was some other woman out there for Adam, so Adam's quench can be, you know, his, his, his thirst can be quenched. Or maybe for Eve there was some other person for her to come outside of her marriage to satisfy her desires. I want to put this slide up about our sexuality because according to the University of California in Santa Barbara, our sexuality is complicated. I just want you to take a look at it for a moment. You see on the outside you have male and female, and then as you go more and more inside, you have this variety that includes everything from... Um, bisexuals and homosexuals and what degree of female you are versus what degree of male you are. It's, I, I, I put this slide up not, not to dissect the slide. That's, that's not my aim this morning. It's, it's to show the sexual spectrum from, 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 the, from, from culture perspective in which we live, and this spectrum is only increasing. There's just more and more variety. Today's sexual landscape is confusing to anyone, especially the most vulnerable around, among us, our children. And so now children, as, as, as young as kindergarten age, is asked questions like, well, what do you think you are? What do you, what do you feel you are? And are asked to make discerning questions about their sexuality and their gender. Because the parent wants to make sure that this six-year-old, this eight-year-old has the freedom to be whoever they feel they should be. Because once you start on the trajectory of being true to yourself and you become your own God, it's hard for you not to make your children their own God. And then it, where then does it end? We live in interesting times. And I want to, I want to scale back and back and back to the beginning. 
Because here's what I believe. God has a plan for our sexuality. And I believe sex is, is more than animalistic instincts. It's more than I'm at the club, they at the club, I see them, they see me, I want them, they want me, we need to get out of here so we can, we can pleasure ourselves. It, it's more than animalistic instincts. It's more than desire according to God, but it is not less than desire. There is desire wired into us sexually. It, it, it comes from God, and it is a good gift from a good God. So in other words, sex is not a dirty word that we should never talk about. It's not a dirty thing that we should suppress and keep silence. This is one of the errors of the church. We don't talk about sex enough. Because it's a beautiful gift from a good God. So it's not just desire. It's more than that. It's not this dirty thing that we can't talk about. It's more than that. So let's go back to the beginning briefly and see what God says about sexuality. Now, before I go back, let me tell you why I'm going back. Rodney, why do we go back to Genesis to talk about sexuality? Here's why. If God is the creator of all things, he has say in how his creation expresses itself since he's the creator. This is simple. If you come out with some technology that, 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 that goes viral and, and it's about to blow up and you're about to make a billion dollars, if somebody just snatches your technology and says, I know I'm, I'm going to use it this way, you'd be like, are you out your mind? This is, I have a patent for this. You're not going to take my, are you, you're not taking my invention. Because if you take my invention, then you're taking the credit for what I invented. God has a patent on his creation. It's called the Imago Dei, or the image of God, in which he has stamped us with his own image and likeness. And he has the right to tell us about our sexuality. Why? He made it. Sex is not porn's idea. Sex is not uh, 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 whatever we think about, these initial thoughts we think about when we think about sex. I remember watching, you know, I, I ain't going to tell you what year I grew up. I grew up a couple years ago and, you know. I remember watching I Love Lucy. And Lucy never got into bed with Ricardo. I remember watching family members, uh, family matters, I'm sorry. The most you got was a long kiss. I don't know if you had parents like me, when you saw a long kiss, hey, cover your eyes, boy, cover your eyes. <laughs> you peeking out of one eye, I ain't, I ain't looking, you know. Now, Can I be honest? I'm, uh, yesterday, my wife went away. She took the girls and doing stuff for school. I got my son with me at the office, and we're there in the office. I said, son, I got, 
I got prep all day. I need you to roll with me. I need you to be flexible. Go to a little gathering later, but I just need you to be flexible. Okay, then I'm rolling with you. And he's in the office. He's in, he's in where our church meets for the office. He is watching a, a kid's show on YouTube on the television. He's watching, I mean, God must have let this happen just for this sermon, I'm telling you. He's watching a kid's show on YouTube on the, on the television in, in where our church meets for, their, for, for officing. And he comes up to me and says, and I'm, 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 I'm in it for y'all, for y'all. I'm in it. <laughs> he comes to me, Daddy, Daddy, change the channel. I said, what? Change the what? Change the channel, change the channel. And Nicki Minaj is dressed up as a cartoon character on a horse bouncing up and down. Y'all know who Nicki Minaj is, right? I ain't got to go there. I said, boy, g- give me the, what? <laughs> They're not waiting. A lot of inappropriate scenes are now being pushed more and more to kids' channel, to cartoons, y'all. So we have to go back and say, wait a minute, what was God's original design? What did God intend for us as human beings sexually? It's his idea. So when you think about sex, think that's God's idea. This is good. Take some reorientation of the mind. Depending on how you were raised, parents, I urge you earlier and earlier, have some type of an age-appropriate sexual conversation with your kids because the schools are beating you. Don't let them beat you. What is intimacy? God's idea. All the kids in fellowship kids now, right? Just want a quick scan? Okay. What is orgasm? God's idea. Sexual climax? God's idea. Stimulation sexually? God's idea. If it's all God's idea, that means he knows how to maximize the sexual experience. He knows how to get the most out of sex. And if that's the case, we got to go back to how the creator set it up, and we need to go back to look at Genesis. And in Genesis, at the end of chapter 2, God makes his crown of creation. He makes man. He makes human and then he pulls out of man Eve, and, 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 and he makes this man and this woman, he makes them different. He makes them different so they can become one flesh. He made two complementarian parts that would complement one another. One would, would be stronger than the other, so when a threat comes, the, the, the one that is stronger would stand up and fight. He, 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 he made one a little bit smarter than the other because the other one... <laughs> Girls, y'all owe me an offering for that one, I mean. 
So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father. He'll get out of his mother and father's house, and he'll hold fast to his wife. He'll, he'll join her in holy matrimony, not holy shackimony, but holy matrimony. And they shall become one flesh. Say it with me. One flesh. Flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked. They're both vulnerable. They're both transparent. They're not hiding nothing. They, they know what each other look like when they're not dolled up. They are who they are. They have shared their secrets. They have shared their soul. They have bared their soul. They have bared the most intimate parts of themselves. They've been the most vulnerable in front of any other person in their life. They've, they've been with their married spouse. And this vulnerability creates this kind of unity that leads to sustain and beautiful love. It is the way that God created it. He created it one flesh. I love what F.F. Bruce says about one flesh. Here's what he said. The term one flesh doesn't just mean physical union. It means it embodies the personhood. In other words, the expectation in one flesh is that sex will engage the entire person. That sex will engage not just physically coming together, fitting together one flesh, that's included, but also the coming together psychologically. Also the coming together mentally. You know, you got to be on one accord for sex. Hey, that's marriage stuff. Let me go back. To come together socially. To come together financially. To come together in their commitment to one another. And to be exclusive to one another. They come together in sex to serve one another. You see, sex is not just a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It's not just something that I'll do over there and I'll do over here and, and I'll just get over it and it doesn't mean anything and it's just something that I experience. According to God's idea of sex, sex is far more inclusive. He's trying to get us to understand when he made male and female for each other, he's thinking one flesh in one flesh and includes the entire personhood. This is why when you have sex with somebody, there are chemical endorphins that are released that joins you and connects you to the other person. This is why even, even after the most, the, <laughs> get the right word, uh, the, most, um, uh, the most transactional uh, coming together for sex, it's still, whether you're Christian or not Christian, it's still that, that weird feeling when they just get up and leave. when it's just a transaction. You see, in his foreknowledge and in, in God's wisdom, God says the best place for this kind of one flesh sex I'm talking about, where can I put such a powerful uh, demonstration of affection? Where can I place this, this including of the entire person where does that go? It, it, it can't just go as my humans are passing by each other. It can't just go uh, for, for, for somebody that meets one day and, 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 and they're having a good time. It can't go there. 
It, it, it can't go for, 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 for two males to, to do it because it doesn't, it doesn't fit what I'm after in this one flesh thing. It doesn't work when two women do it because it doesn't, it doesn't fit in this one flesh thing. The, the, the best place for this one flesh sex I have created is in, is in marriage between a man and a woman who are committed to each other for life. God says, that's where I'll place sex because that's where it's going to flourish best. That's where they have to practice forgiveness. That's why they have to serve when it's not comfortable. That's where he places sex. And here's what I have to say. God has not changed his mind, and he doesn't have to, because he's still right. But Rodney, it's more complicated than that. I know. Sit tight. Because here's the problem. Sexual brokenness. You see, when Adam and Eve was there, transparent and guarded, it was beautiful, it was amazing. Sex was blissful. It was amazing until the fall. Satan comes in to tempt Eve to get her to go against God's plan. Again, I love what Jackie Hill says about this. She says, what the devil had in mind when he picked Eve's brain was not necessarily a matter of wondering what answer she'll give. It wasn't even the question itself that she shouldn't been wary of, it was the way in which it began. Did God actually say, or to say it another way, was God telling the truth? Here's what I'll conclude from that. I believe as a society, people, as they think about God and sex, here's the, 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 one of the bottom line issues. God didn't tell the truth. He's holding back on us. He's hiding things from us. He knows there's more pleasure to be sought. There's more satisfaction to be sought. God didn't tell the truth. In the same way Eve bought that lie, I believe our culture had brought that lie. Maybe some of us even here this morning has brought that lie. And because of that, Eve sinned. And what does sin bring? Sin brings separation from God. The essence in, in, of, of sin is sin is separation from God. And so they, are, they, they, they have consequences because of their sin. It leads to enmity or hostility between man and woman, and it brought about spiritual death and distance between humanity and God. But it also, y'all, led to, spirit, to sexual brokenness. Sometimes when we think of sin, we think about death, we think about separation from God, we think about, man, now this is why bad things happen. Uh, okay, I get that. And, and man, this is, this is why I keep lying or I keep, keep stealing or I keep, keep committing these, 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 these sins against God and, and God stopped. But it also led to, hear this, sexual brokenness. I love this quote says, every Christian at some point will feel the tension between faith and sexual, sexual desire. In today's culture, it says, there is no way to manage such tension unless one's faith beliefs are adjusted to accommodate one's sexual desires. 
You see what, whether you are Christian or whether you're not this morning, you experience from day to day the effect of sexual brokenness. Rodney, what does sexual brokenness bring? Sexual, bro- sex- sexual brokenness brings disordered desires. Say this again, because of sin, sin has brought about sexual brokenness. What does sexual brokenness look like in real life? It looks like disordered desires. This is why porn has the effect that it has. Statistics show there are 100 million clicks on one porn site that I will not state the name of that porn site every day. Nine hundred and sixty-two per second. There are twelve new videos and two hours of content uploaded every minute. Thirty-three percent of women watch pornographic videos and view explicit photos at least one time a week. Married couples, this is interesting, married couples who watch porn increase their risk of divorce by nearly 200%, more than doubling their chances of heading to divorce. Disordered desires. There's something in porn that says, I can be gratified here, and that's it. But it's not. Now, I'm going to elaborate on this next week, but one of the things that sexual sin does, according to 1 Corinthians 6, is sexual sin is, is not just sin, it's, it's also sinning against our own bodies. It's also devaluing the person on the screen because they're no longer your brother or sister made in the image of God. They're now an object of your pleasure. How about the person that is having sex before marriage with their boyfriend or girlfriend? Interesting statistic came across while studying. Christian mingle. Now the operative word in that title is Christian mingle. State, 63% of their clients will participate in premarital sex. And the thing that hit me about that is, you're being surveyed (laughs) about a Christian website. So if if the survey came back at 63%, what is the real percentage? What about cheating on your spouse? Physically or mentally? Statistics on infidelity surveys show 22% of married men have committed adulterous acts at least once. 14% of women have had affairs at least once during their married life. The percentage of men and women who commit uh, to infidelity on business trips is 36%. I throw that that physically or mentally in there based out of Matthew's chapter 
5, verse 27, that says, if a person lusts after a person, even if it's in their mind, it's the same as committing adultery. How many of us need to repent of thinking or thoughts? What about Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire financer who was accused of sex trafficking young girls for himself and his other high-profile associates, just broke this week terms of the names that were associated with this case, and, and Jeffrey took his life yesterday. What about pedophilia? To have sex with children is part of the reason that Paul wrote Romans chapter 1. You see, in our culture and in our lives, our sexual desires have been disordered. Sin has ravished our sexuality. And so we long for things that won't bring us life, that ultimately bring us death, but that's our, that's our desire. So how do we arrive at this, this sexual sin that has depraved our culture? Good question, and this is where I'm going to close this off. Uh, for this sermon, but I want to read and I want to give you some good news because it's a little dark in here. I want to give you some good news before you leave. Next week, we're going to dive deep into Romans chapter 1. We'll look at verses 18 through 28 next week, but here's what I want to show us for this week. Paul says, I love how he frames this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's good news. Because if we remember what the gospel is, is remember that, 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 that um, God did it all, that, that, that man lost it all, that, that Christ accomplished it all back for us, and that he's preparing again a time of restoring all things and bringing about renewal. If we remember the gospel, the, the, the same sins that he died on the cross for was also our sexual sins. So get a quick picture of passion of Christ. Think about the scenes that you hate to think about. And then think about porn, adultery, homosexuality. Lustful thoughts, fantasies. Think about premarital sex. He died for sexual sin, but not everyone's. Can I be faithful to the text? Listen to what it says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power. I love that. I just saw like a weightlifting competition. Somebody just doing deadlifts, just, just you know, just lifting. Because the gospel got power, y'all. You are, if you're in Christ, you're, you're, you're no longer a slave to your sexual sin. The gospel has power to deliver and raise you up out of that. Somebody just needs to believe that this morning. We need to close this thing with you believing that God has the power to free up your sexual sins.
Some of you, even the sexual sins of your past, as you think about this sermon, some of you are going back in your past and you're, 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 you're not applying the gospel properly to your past sins, so your past sins are pushing you into condemnation when God is trying to get you to liberation because his cross has a tone for your sins. cross is paid for, but not to everybody. Can I be faithful to the text? It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So Rodney, if I don't believe, what does that mean? That means you are still in bondage to your sexual sins. And your disordered desires, they drive you like a slave to fulfill it. And you have no power to really resist. So this is why you can't leave them. This is why you'll swear to me up and down the scriptures are wrong and you are right. And be careful, Christian, that you don't buy into that delusion. Hear me as your pastor. Please don't forsake the text. Please don't forsake what God has said. I know you have friends and I know that you watch things and I know that there are certain things that are said in a certain way to make Christianity seem stupid. And for them ignorant folk, please, I'm pleading with you, don't let those thoughts fester in your mind to lead to doubt and unbelief but get back into the scriptures and line your hips up with what God said and be the missionary that he's calling you to be an advocate for what God said and I'm so glad y'all some of us I was around some pastors and everybody was talking about is this dark and man look at this how things are happening and man wow people aren't coming to church anymore and blah blah and we're just going yeah so yeah I said yeah but but he's still got a remnant he still got some folks that's going to serve him no matter what. He keeps for himself people that will follow him through the hardest of times. So let me just say this to the church's means of encouragement. These are beautiful days ahead of us. Because God is still in control. There are beautiful days ahead of us, even as we look at hot-button topics, because God is still sitting on his throne. And if you read the end of the book, we win. A word for those that are, that are struggling. Verse 17, let me finish. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, there's good standing for you. There's right standing for you. And, 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 and oh, that God would make you a carrier of this message. There's good standing for you out there who are not here because the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, and that's good news. So we don't have to be ashamed. But apart from the cross, there is no, there's no power for us. So we need to cling to the cross in moments of challenge. Cling to the cross Repent and surrender and then walk the other way. Don't be entangled in sin again, but forsake it and walk the other way.